The following article contains several citations linked inside the original article. To view these citations, please visit anticapitalzero.wordpress.com. Labor Product Value by S. Artesian. So let's return to our make-believe world where everything and the only thing that is produced is wheat. Let's ignore that human society couldn't survive with such monoproduction, not to mention capital couldn't exist as capital if it were a mono-commodity. There would be nothing to exchange, no reason for exchange. But enough of that, we have a theory to explore, so... Physiocrat Case A Workers working for Physiocrat McDonald Sr. work 10 hours per day. The workers produce 10 bushels of wheat in that 10 hours. The workers require 2 bushels of wheat each day to replenish themselves, body and spirit, and their families. Product Big C, Case A, 10 bushels. Labor time, 10 hours. Necessary product, 2 bushels. Necessary labor time, 2 hours. Surplus product, 8 bushels. Surplus labor time, 8 hours. The product to time ratio is 1 to 1. No matter how we express the value of the bushel in money terms as a price, the value of each bushel is 1 hour. Okay, so let's express the value of an hour of production as $4. Product big C is 10 bushels, is 10 hours, is $40. Necessary labor is 2 bushels, 2 hours, $8. Surplus labor, 8 bushels, 8 hours, $32. Physiocrat Case B. Workers working for Physiocrat McDonald Jr. work 10 hours per day. Unlike McDonald the Elder, McDonald the Younger installs enhanced drainage, the expense of which is offset by the reduced seed and fertilizer applied to the better drained soil. Workers still require two bushels of wheat to reproduce themselves and their families, but instead of producing 10 bushels for old McDonald, these workers produce 20 bushels of wheat. 10 hours now equals 20 bushels in wheat world. Product Big C, Case B, 20 bushels. Labor time, still 10 hours. Necessary product, 2 bushels. Necessary labor time, 1 hour. Surplus product, 18 bushels. Surplus labor time, 9 hours. The product to time ratio is 2 to 1. Now the value of a bushel of wheat is half an hour. Again, we express the value of an hour of production as $4. Product Big C, Case B, $40. Necessary labor, 2 bushels, 1 hour, $4. Surplus labor, 18 bushels, 9 hours, $36. The total value has not changed. The 10 additional bushels of wheat do not change the value of the product of the working day. Increased product is not automatically increased value, as value is an expression of social, human, time, and not an expression of the physical characteristics, 
volume, weight, number of the product. No new value is created, despite the obvious and inescapable increase in use values. All that has changed in value terms is the allocation of the working day between the necessary time, the reduction in time required for the workers to reproduce the wheat wage, and the subsequent increase in the time aggrandized by younger MacDonald. The increase is confined to the surplus labor time, the surplus value, embodied in the product which is contingent upon, derived from, the reduced value of the wage. This is a real reduction of the value of the wage, the time necessary for its reproduction. And that's all we need to know about the relations of productivity to relative surplus value in wheat world. Well, maybe there's some more to know, like, say, the workers working for McDonald the Younger might actually band together and demand an increase in wages to three bushels of wheat, equal to an hour and a half of necessary labor, leaving eight and a half hours of surplus labor equal to $34. Good news for the workers? Not hardly. Notice the increase in the value of the wage is a function of power. The power of the capitalist increases disproportionately with each incremental appropriation of surplus value in that the capitalist already possesses the power of the mode of production itself. The reduction of nominal value of the wage always becomes the reduction in its real value as the portion of total value aggrandized by capital increases. That is the power relationship that is inherent in the economic-social relation of wage laborers to capitalists. This is what happened in the long deflation, the period from 1873 to 1898 in the United States when the nominal wages in the U.S. declined, and violently so, and the decline was offset by the decline in real cost for housing, food, and clothing. This period was one of cyclical recessions followed by expansions, both phases accompanied by increasing self-organization of the workers, struggles against wage reductions, and struggles for limits to the working day. So much for make-believe, let's move on to the real world where we engage in speculation. First, can we translate the dynamic of wheat world to the real world, where capital can only exist to the extent that all production is commodity production, that all products are commodities, where the necessary labor in fact cannot be expressed as any single or collection of commodities, but is always expressed in and by itself as the wage capable of exchange for all commodities? The answer has to be yes. Value is blind to everything but itself precisely because it veils itself through its universe of equivalent exchanges. Wheat equals automobiles, equals petroleum, equals televisions, equals shoes, equals cell phones, equals antibiotics. Not only because all are values, but because value is all. Nobody, after all, gets paid in petroleum or antibiotics or televisions or cell phones, but all are paid in an equivalent, a portion of the value embedded in petroleum, or antibiotics, or televisions. What happens when productivity increases the production of these use values? Increased physical output does not increase the total value, 
we know that. In value terms, the value in sum remains unchanged, but in price terms, each additional automobile, cell phone, each use value represents an increased claim, demand, entry for a portion of the total surplus value flushed into the market. Price is the representation of value in money terms, and more than just the representation. It is a mechanism for the distribution of surplus value to the largest and most efficient capitals. Marx recognizes this distributive property when he refers repeatedly to the lower prices, the lowering prices, of commodities as the battering ram by which capital knocks down the doors, protecting non-capitalist economies. He recognizes it further in his discussions of prices of production and market prices. Size does matter, and profits accrue to capital in proportion to their sizes. Price, the price weight, that a capital can bring to bear on the market does matter, and productivity is the way that capital creates its universe of price points. Let's fashion a comparison based on the 2016 U.S. Department of Commerce Annual Survey of Manufacturers. For U.S. manufacturing as a whole, A. Production worker wages per production hour, PPH, not including benefits, $23.28. B. Total cost of materials used in production, PPH. $187.65 C. Total value of all shipments, receipts, etc. PPH $341.48 Total capital spending PPH $10.73 Total all other expenses PPH $13.40 Net value added in VA PPH is C minus A plus B plus D plus E is $106.42. The ratio of net value added over production worker wage, which is a proxy for S over V, is 4.57 to 1. So our proxy rate of profit which is net value added divided by B plus D plus A plus E is 0.453. For U.S. petroleum and coal manufacturing specifically, A, production worker wages per production hour, $41.58. Total cost of materials used per production hour, $2,362.31 Total value per production hour $2,925.08 Total capital spending per production hour $97.09 Total other expenses per production hour $52.83 So the net value added per production hour $371.27. The proxy S over V is 8.93 to 1, leaving us with a proxy rate of profit of 0.145. Now, 
The different net value added per production hours between manufacturing and petroleum is a bit of an illusion, in that an hour is an hour is an hour, and the workers in the petroleum fields are not adding any more value in an hour than a worker in a food processing plant is adding in an hour. But the pricing mechanism, which distributes the total surplus value, distributes more to the petroleum industry, compensating the industry for its greater capital intensity. When the price of oil shoots up, the distribution is intending to equalize rates of profit. Productivity, reducing the unit cost, increasing the units, expanding the points of exchange, is reducing the costs of production while the size of the capital allows for the increase in production prices. Productivity is not increasing relative surplus value, but is transferring surplus value to the largest and most efficient capitals. Value is enhanced, driven forward, by increases in the working hours aggrandized, not in the reduction of unit times until, of course, overproduction overtakes this entire process and paralyzes accumulation. This price mechanism is the process through which capitals of equal size claim equal profits, the greatest intensity, that is to say, a disproportion of the ratio of the constant, previously accumulated, portions of capital to the living capital exceed, and by a lot, the social average of that ratio can leverage that differential against the reduced costs of production to achieve an average rate of profit, offsetting the disadvantage engendered by the disproportion. This can be done through lower prices, aggrandizing market share, and also by increased prices, as in the case of petroleum. In this sense, the pricing process is purposeful. Capitalists make these decisions on pricing, but they do not make them out of thin air, or simply based on cost. Such decisions are made in, of, and often against what would appear to be simple market prices. The bottom line is always the bottom line, and that's profit, for capital. Productivity does not ever flow directly to that bottom line for an individual capitalist enterprise or for any specific capitalist sector, but is flushed to that bottom line through social process of exchange, through price. The dilemma for and of relative surplus value is that regardless of how much is produced in volume, value is determined by time. Time rules as capital struggles within and against the curves of a universe of its making. Relative surplus value does not exist independently of the distribution of the total surplus value extracted by big C capital. Surplus value is indeed relative in that it is always disappearing into the accumulation of capital through its very realization. It appears as an increment to while it vanishes as capital.